place is different. Special. The others don't want to talk about it because it scares them. But we all know it. We all feel it. to the storm a lost rewatch podcast my name is dave gonzalez and i would leave a trail of individually wrapped candies i've been hoarding as i'm being led through the jungle so that jack could follow me my name is joanna robinson and if i were being dragged through the jungle by tom cruise's cousin i would leave a trail of crumpled up cans of passion fruit lacroix uh which as we established off air is maybe not the stealthiest thing to do but is something i always have on my person and I'm Neil Miller, and I am don't really have anything to leave for Jack, but I would like to say that in this scenario, I'm probably still in the caves, because let me tell you something. I'm not chasing anyone into the jungle. I'm not having any arguments. I'm not trying to convince anyone to move to the caves. I'm just keeping off to the side by myself and eating some boar and some bananas and just waiting it all out. That would have seemed boring up until this episode of Lost, the television show Lost, where the stakes are upped, both by the threat of other people and by a mysterious discovery uh, that Lock and Boot make in the jungle. We're here to talk about episode 11 of season one of Lost. All the best cowboys have daddy issues. If this is your first time with the podcast, you should know we split it into two different sections. The first section uh, you're in right now and continues for about half the podcast. It's called The Calm, where we will not talk about any other parts of Lost beyond Season 1, Episode 11. Just about what we've seen so far on this rewatch. Then, if you maybe are returning to the series after having watched all of Lost when it originally aired, you could join us for the second half of the podcast called The Storm, where we're allowed to pull from any knowledge uh, on the internet are sometimes just weird theories that we're smashing together in this rewatch uh, that involve some elements we can't talk about now. Uh, so if you hear any bleeps in this first part of the podcast, uh, that's us keeping you safe and keeping all the spoilers in the second part, the storm, time codes, in your description. Excellent. That's the show. Joanna, do we have any reviews this week of this podcast that's rewatching Lost called The Storm? Oh, this Storm Lost podcast? We do have a few reviews. Thank you so much for asking me, Dave. Um, this one comes from K White Listens, K Witch Listens. Uh, out on Lost, in on the trio, five stars. I have a complicated relationship with Lost. I understand the ending, and in many ways it's satisfying. I'm just frustrated by the lack of resolutions for some of the show's mysteries. So when one of my fave podcasts switched topics, I was sad. But 
staying at the small council on Patreon, loving the bonus content, and excited for the Far From Home pod, and <sighs> miss the chemistry and insights from this incredible trio enough to revisit what was captivating, if a bit frustrating, TV. Thank you to all three of you for the hours of companionship and entertainment. See you at the con. So, uh, that's someone who doesn't even like Lost, but is still listening. Thank you very much for that. Uh, on the other side, we will get this, uh, <laughs> this review from someone who goes by Spike Love 51. Thank you, Spike Love 51. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> playing, playing to the audience here. Uh, love Lost, love this podcast, five stars. I was so thrilled to find this podcast on my second all-time favorite show, Buffy is the first. I love Lost and I love the ending and I've rewatched the whole series more times than I can count, so I especially like the setup with the storm portion where the hosts discuss the whole series. Great setup to accommodate first-timers with the common. Please, people like me with the storm, please keep laughing. Hearing the three delightful hosts interact and poke fun and laugh makes me so happy. We need this very much right now with so much to cry about in this country. Wow, that that review took a turn. Thank you. Thank you, Spike Love 51. Um, and thank you to all of you. You, we've, uh, we've gotten a lot of nice lost reviews. So I just really appreciate you guys, uh, keeping, keeping up with us as we transition into this brave new world. That's a good point. As far as, uh, us, our, the calm audience knows, uh, all of our losties are still on that island, unaware of the things that are happening. In a, in America right now, I think that's what the the review really meant. Okay. <laughs> Wait, are you uh, saying on that island, uh, George W. Bush is forever president? Yeah, as far as they know. All right. I mean, I well, I imagine that they've you know guessed that there has been another president, uh, <laughs> and there's been an orderly transition of power. Just I, they guessed wrong. I'm going to assume. Uh, from, uh, what I remember of being in 2004. Neil, your section's called Found Signals, where we get to hear from our listeners. Uh, usually we have like a story of how people have been getting into Lost, but what do you have for us this week? Dave, guess what? I've got a story of how someone came to Lost. Excellent. <laughs> On brand. Uh, but first, here are places you can place your signals so that we will see them you can always email us hosts at stormpodcast.com get on our new website stormpodcast.com shouts to diana who made the website uh twitter at stormpodcast as always and uh, remember patreon patreon.com slash storm of spoilers where the off-season tour lives on forever um and uh, we'll obviously be doing storm chasing again this week the email that i brought is from julie Julie says, I'm very much enjoying this rewatch. Season five was about to premiere in January, right after one of my winter breaks in law school. My then boyfriend, now husband, was a fan, and ABC had the entirety of the first four seasons on their website. I remember that one, Julie. I remember the watching it on their website. I binged all four seasons in 10 days to be ready to watch season five, probably my proudest accomplishment. And now, well, I still can't help binging. The first season is so incredibly watchable and gripping, and in mindlessly watching other shows recently, I've realized nothing can be lost. It's interesting to rewatch and think how much I should have picked up about the big, about big reveals in general. Is it just more obvious now that I know, or did I miss a lot of details in my quest to finish the show? 
One last thing. Regrettably, I've fallen down in 2019 after not falling down in 2018. I tripped on a curb while walking my dog, not named Vincent. Fingers crossed for 2020. Julie, we are fingers crossed for you for not falling down in 2020, among other things for 2020. Um, this is a good question though, uh, because it's, it's part of our, um, the, the sort of, mantra and that's not really a mantra it's sort of the guiding ethos of our show our podcast is that it's all about execution and that knowing what's going to happen doesn't necessarily make it worse and this actually this episode is a really good example of that that i think we're going to talk about which is the the way it ends with charlie and uh but do you find that as you go over things a second third time does does anything does it lose punch does it, do you gain appreciation? I don't I know. How are you like, feeling so far? I think it hones it down. It's like uh, a large stone in the middle of a river. Just like the more times you go over it, you're going to smooth out all the jagged edges and I think really see it for what it is. And in the case of, I think, this week, the episode's really thrilling. Yeah, in some other cases, uh, either in later seasons or I think... I think so far the only one I could really slap on that is the moth, and I know I've been hard on the moth before, but I stand by it. Uh, it really kind of reveals itself as not having much there. But a lot of the first season, at least in returning for me, uh, rewatching with the knowledge just makes me like, oh, this cut from this thing to this thing has like a new meaning now in my mind. And I know in the storm we've had a lot of questions of what did the writers know when in this first season. And I look forward to uh, eventually having answers to those questions. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, um, I, I know that I mentioned a lot. Uh, we already had, I was not the first person to shout out Diana on this podcast, but uh, I've been, you know, I rewatched the whole thing by myself, uh, you know, this last couple months or whatever. And then now I'm, now I'm on another track uh, with, with our producer, my roommate, Diana. Watching it with her is so fun. And also just like hearing her talk about it is so fun for me. And it's similar to like what it is like watching with you, our, our listeners who haven't seen it for the first time, because when people get excited about a character and they're like, Oh my God, I love this character. And, and you like want to agree or disagree, but you have to keep it cool. And just like, all I don't know, all this stuff or, or, um, I was, I was just watching an episode with her the other night and I knew something like, it was going to end on like this big thing. And I like turned to just watch her face as it happened. Cause I was really excited to see. And then she just goes like, Holy shit. And that's just really, really fun. So I don't know, watching people discover lost for the first time or, or rediscover things that they didn't remember um, has been really, really fun for me. So nice. Um, all right. That's all. That's all I have. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that works that way for all series is, uh, I had to speed watch some Stranger Things season two yeah. uh, to make sure I knew what season three was. And I'm like, oh, man, I only needed to see these things once uh, to really, you know, absorb what needed to be absorbed. But definitely for where we are in Lost, this is peak peak rewatchability, which is what I try to tell people I'm trying to sell them on this podcast, which is not you. You're obviously already listening to the podcast. But if you <laughs> need to try to sell people, be like, like yes. I know Lost is gonna, you know, has some hard times, but they're in the first season and it's all gold. Well, I think that, um, what helps is that, you know, um, as Neil was just saying, like execution, uh, 
the 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 oh my god and twists and theories is like one really fun part about Lost, but the other uh you know is is the other guiding mantra of this podcast for me, which is like if you don't have character, you don't have anything. And so like for me, rewatching these character interactions, like I think I mentioned recently that when we were when I rewatched the season one finale run, which is I think what three episodes uh, <laughs> of a finale, it could be seven. <laughs> like 20 <laughs> 20 episodes finale um i like i wept multiple times and i had just seen it and i still cried at like certain musical cues and stuff like that so um yeah i think for me like mm. the emotion and the and the characters and you know the execution is there's a musical cue in this episode that we're talking about this week at the end that gets me every time i can't wait to talk about it <laughs> so wait are we are we we're probably going to because we paired up the pilot we're going to pair up the finale yeah. uh, throw the three-part finale so which means that the podcast is, has to be six hours long <laughs> well but that also means that this is halfway for us in season yeah. two at the end of this episode yeah. so c- season one congratulations everybody we're halfway to season one uh here with uh all the best cowboys have daddy issues we got halfway through the season, and it's our first repeat flashback character episode, technically, because we don't count the pilot as being a solo Jack episode. Neil, what happened this week? Yes. In this yeah. episode, all the best cowboys have daddy issues. Directed by Stephen Williams, a recurring director of Lost Episodes, written by Javier Grigio Marswash. I think that's right. Nope, that's probably not even right. Anyway, we'll get it eventually. There's more of those. There's more Javi episodes. Uh, on the island this week, Claire and Charlie have been taken, which prompts Jack to run off with absolutely no plan whatsoever, but he knows he has to fix it. Locke then assembles the search party with Kate and Boone. Boone, who is being upgraded to the varsity squad this week. <laughs> um, we learn that back home, Hurley was also known as something of a warrior himself. He later loses $20,000 playing backgammon to Walt. So I'm not sure what Hurley was a warrior of, but it was not backgammon. <laughs> Locke, uh, it, we cut back to our search party. Locke and Boone decide to go one way. Surprise tracker Kate and Jack go in another. And despite his obvious need to rush into being the hero of the situation, Jack does stop to give Kate a hard time about her past, which is another recurring oh. Jack thing. Um, elsewhere, uh, John Locke can predict the weather up to within a minute. It's pretty good. Uh, back at the, uh, the old caves and camp situation, Sawyer has a chat with Saeed, which uh, begins with a dash of racism and uh, ends with him saying he's been keeping the signal fire going. So, you know, they're still maybe on the same team a little bit. Who knows? Uh, back in uh, search party land, Jack gets his ass beat by Ethan. It's, it's a tough break for Jack. Uh, and then Jack and Kate find Charlie hanging from a tree. Perhaps I would say the most haunting lost image uh, yet is the image of Charlie hanging from the tree. Uh, and then they do what they do best. Kate climbs a tree. Jack is very stubborn. And eventually Charlie wakes up. So that's good. Except Charlie's pretty dark now. So that's less good. Uh, in flashbacks, we actually get a very efficient flashback sequence this week in which jack's father uh gets sauced over lunch and then basically kills a woman on the operating table great uh, and then he tries to convince jack to cover it up with him which uh jack goes along with for a while 
until later in the episode when Jack finds out that the woman who died was pregnant, which prompts him to turn on his father and tell the truth. It all ends with Locke and Boone, who are still searching, even though the trail has gone dry, but they find something in the ground, some sort of steel thing that we're going to need to know more of. And I put the eyes emoji in the notes <laughs> for the steel thing. It has a steel thing, <laughs> eyes emoji. So that's what happened this week on uh, Lost. Soon we'll have an unbeepable name uh, that we could call the, the steel thing. But we'll I almost... Steel thing for oh, now. you mean... I- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I almost wrote that in the notes and I was like, wait, that actually is a spoiler. <laughs> Like, as I was, cause I do this as I'm watching the episode. So, like, I'm getting to it and I'm like, oh, cool. But then they never, in this episode. So. Start uncovering something and Boone's like, is it the plane? Um, yes, good. Very thorough. I think you left out Michael being butthurt at. Oh, not right. Being part of a search party and forming his I've own got, search party. I've got five people who come with me. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, they all have names. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> they don't even go here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a little bit more to say about Michael and Walt, but I've, that felt a little stormy. Oh, okay. Well, then we will uh, leave that there and uh, not return to it outside of saying that that happened. And once again, Michael seems to be getting hissy at some things so that he doesn't have to be, but it's, it's tough being on the island. And being isolated uh, for this long. Just last week, we were thinking, you know, maybe Claire wasn't being attacked in her sleep. And now, at the end of this week, we learn from uh, Charlie that they have been after Claire all along. And this was all sort of a ruse. But is one of my favorite Lost episodes ever. Because this is... This is... To uh, do a Stefan, this episode has everything (laughs) I like about the first season of Lost. It has Jack running into the jungle for no reason, convinced that he's right. And then he ends up, like, sort of being right, but just through, like, blind faith because we get to see his flashback. We're, like, cool with it. It has missions. It has teams. It has Sawyer and Saeed having, like, a showdown, but that doesn't actually, like, erupt into violence. Uh, but instead, you know, kind of brings them closer together and faces them outwards towards another mystery. That mystery is the other, so we finally have an antagonistic force on the island that's obviously antagonistic. It's us versus them. It's light versus dark. I like it. Uh, this is, I think, the beginning of the first season uh, turning into more of a mystery box show that the pilot was supposed to be until, as we talked about on the pilot episode, they sort of pulled the original pitch back a little bit to uh, make it less of a science fiction series and more of like a thriller jungle action mystery series. But as I've said on previous episodes, these early episodes are uh, have a lot of stereotypes and then like jungle situations that are more like a survivor, who's going to trust who, uh, where are we going to get the hidden medication, uh, who has the pilot manifest, all these uh, stranded uh, points of contention. And now I think they really split into uh, island mystery and character backstory really paying off. Uh, I think that episode 11 is the time when Lost really starts doing it for me in terms of mystery and heightened drama. Uh, Joanna, let's start with you uh, this episode. Hmm. 
Uh, this is the second Jack episode, and we finally get to learn what we was hinted about in his first flashback, uh, the thing that broke him and his father. Uh, what did you think about this, as Neil was saying, pretty well self-contained dramatic Jack flashback story? Um, I thought it was okay. Um, I don't know. I think there's more interesting. It's, I guess, I guess this is to our, our listeners point. I think there's more interesting Christian Shepherd stuff, um, in the future. And that this is like, st- it still feels a little broad to me. And I think we'll get more of the nuance of this relationship, um, as, as the show unfolds. I don't think that's a spoiler to say. Um, but, uh yeah, it's 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 okay. It's um I think I like is is Jack's big turn in this episode in this flashback um because as Neil pointed out, he finds out that the woman was pregnant. Um because uh, on Lostpedia it says he recognized the gesture like his dad puts a hand on the guy's shoulder in a way that makes Jack seethe. Mm. And I think uh, it's it feels to me in this episode like it's a it's a combination of things. Yeah. No, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm. I'm yeah. No, I'm no, no. You, the, that's a good point. Out is the 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 shoulder thing because they linger on that for a long time. Yeah. Um. So I think it's just like this this snowball of things where Jack sort of figures out that his father has been manipulating him. You know the the thing that we can see very clearly. <laughs> In that scene where he, right. they have the argument, Jack doesn't figure it out until later. Jack's a little slow on the uptake. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but when he gets mad, boy, is he mad. Oh, boy. Oh, Does he boy. run fast? <laughs> uh, and in, in circles. In circles. <laughs> that's the most, that's like the best uh, sort of, yeah, just symbol of like Jack angrily charging headlong into the jungle and then running in circles for an hour until the people have actual <laughs> skills come and find. <laughs> well, and it's a good it's a good little show don't tell way of you know cutting the line between Jack and Locke, who we believe to be sort of our two main. Even though there is no sort of main characters, these are sort of the the two main forces that are leading the people on the island. And it's just so funny that Jack just goes crazy running off and eventually like Locke like goes back packs up his stuff gets more people creates a plan and then like casually just finds jack (laughs) keeps a visual line of sight as he's going through the right and and all that time jack was running in a circle that entire time and the best line i gotta find him oh i'm I'm running in a circle i'm the hero running in a circle like viciously remembering things (laughs) (laughs) and the the best line to me is is early in this in the whole sequence when kate is like well jack's gonna get away and Locke's like we'll catch up <laughs> He's not but going anywhere. I actually think the big, like, one of the big revelations of this episode doesn't come in the flashback. Though, I mean, yeah, we learn, we learn what we suspected that Christian has a drinking problem, which is why his, uh, ghostly sound was the tinkling of ice in the glass. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and how directly Jack was involved in, in ending his father's career and stuff like that. All of that. Um, which is what his mom accuses him of, uh, early on. But, um, but I think the a big and interesting revelation of this episode actually comes when we find out that Kate is also a tracker, which feels like maybe something that they didn't initially plan. And then they're like, we're going to need more than one. Yeah. Um, and- we're going to have multiple jungle teams. <laughs> yeah, we're going to need multiple trackers. And I think if they handle it really well in terms of like, I like the revelation of it. You know, she's just she says 
uh, one of my favorite, like, lost drinking game phrases, which is dummy trail, right? So, uh, you know, they might have <laughs> set up a dummy trail, go ahead and take a drink every time they say that. But, um, Locke absorbs the information. He says, you know, something like, my, 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 aren't you full of surprises or something like that, but not in like a shitty, uh, sexist way. I really like the way that Locke absorbs this information and he doesn't seem threatened. And he's just sort of like, ah, I see. Noted. Got it. Um, and then Jack is just a full on dick about it, <laughs> which is distracting you <laughs> from the fact that like, this is brand new information that like, why hasn't Kate mentioned this before? Like, you're too busy being like, stop being a dick, Jack. Like, thanks so much. And then we get some of Kate's, um, you know, daddy issues stuff coming through. The The title of this episode, All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues, is a reference to uh, Pete Townsend album. But um, I love the title of this episode because, you know, we've, this is like the fourth or fifth dad issues. Like, you know, because um, son has daddy issues. <laughs> Sawyer has daddy issues. Jack has daddy issues. Um, and Kate, as we learn in this episode, I don't know about issues. We learned she has some emotions around her dad. Is there anyone else? Uh, I think, I think if she brings up emotions in an episode titled All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues, it's fair to assume that she has daddy issues. All right. It seems like a safe thing the show is telegraphing. All right. So Kate has daddy issues. Uh, and, uh, that's about all we, yeah. And Jack, that's about all we can say for now. But guess what? It's not all the ones that will come up. So I just like, I just feel <laughs> those like, are just the ones we know about so far. Yeah, I, I think those are all the ones we know about so far. So that that um uh, and I guess uh, we could say Walt has daddy issues. We find out that Walt has a second daddy. Uh, Walt has some daddy issues in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, you know, that's uh, that's that's. It feels like the show calling itself out. You know what I mean? Like, it's a reference to an album, yes, but they're also like, yeah, yeah, we already, we know. We're doing a lot of daddy issues. We get it. Um, if we say it, you can't say it. Okay. So, um, anyway. um, yeah, I, yeah. I think that Neil was saying that there's, you know, this Jack and Locke sort of being two leads of the team. And I definitely think that ends up being true, but I think it starts here really being true because the past few episodes Locke's been lying low just talking about skin and bore and contributing opinions <laughs> to other people's ventures uh but now he's you know been reactivated uh, because he has a purpose i think and uh i think Locke with a purpose is a much more activated character and creates uh this it's like really harsh dichotomy between him and Jack who, when Jack's given, like, a purpose to do something, he kind of gets all flustered about, like, what sort of guilt that choice has and if he's the best person to be a leader. And here, not only is he, like, reliving a whole flashback with his dad, but he feels bad that he didn't believe Claire last episode when she said she was being attacked. So, yeah, Jack mindlessly wandering into the forest and then Locke very purposefully striding into the forest. And then both of them happening across different conclusions that are equally as important. Like I said, some of my favorite parts of Lost. But like, uh, why? But why is Jack the leader when like Kate has the skill set? Is the question um, a, a question? There's you know, and and it goes back to like sort of the initial purpose of the the, the initial premise of the show was that. Jack was going to die and Kate was going to be the leader. And here she shows up and she has tracking skills and Jack is just charging ahead. And Kate's like, slow down. She's like, I'm not as good as Locke, which I actually don't think is true. 
Um, that feels like classic female insecurity, to be honest with you. Um, it's thousands of years of internalized misogyny. <laughs> She's like, I'm not as good as Locke. I was like, you pointed out an inconsistency in Locke's, uh, and, and they're on the right trail. So that, that, which is the trail that, that, yeah, I would say that, that pointed out, so. based on who actually finds Charlie, <laughs> right? Kate is a better tracker than Locke. Locke gets lost, stops following a trail, has a feeling and then find something in the jungle that's what Locke does in this episode but he does it calmly so we believe that he knows what he's doing yeah and he has boone there to instill some awe not believing his story right. about being a manager for a box company he's got almost captain america fooled <laughs> i love when boone's like were you a hitman come on you can tell me <laughs> We're on an island together. This is perfectly normal. <laughs> Please tell me about I, being a hitman. Anyway. I like it because Terry O'Quinn gets to talk about having not seen Star Trek or not being familiar with red shirts from Star Trek, despite the fact that he played a captain in Star Trek The Next Generation Season 7 that had, like, some mutinous ideas. So he's been a very stern captain that's created his own red shirts. You know what I here. like about this? I, I had thought while I was you watching. You like everything about it. Well, I, yes, I like everything, but I do like how Lost doesn't like pigeonhole one character as the character who brings up pop culture references. Like everyone I mean, kind of does it. Mostly Hurley though. It's a lot Hurley, but I like having Boone do it here because then it's like Boone is talking about how he runs his mother's wedding planning business, but he's also talking about Star Trek. I like, this is probably the most that I like Boone is in this one episode. Um, yeah, it, well, well, it's funny because, uh, we've been mentioning red shirts as just like a, like a pop culture phrase. And then we had some of our listeners write in and be like, what are these red shirts you're talking about? So here's what And then Lost about. explained it to him. <clears throat> we're talking about all the people on the beach, like, like Ethan kind of was when he showed up. And you're like, who's this guy? This is, this guy isn't in the cast. Um, turns out you were right. Have I like said the guy that? with hives. Yeah. He feels like a red shirt kind of guy. Red shirt. Um, <laughs> Uh, rugby shirt girl. There's a girl with like the crop top rugby shirt. She's a red, despite the blue stripes on her shirt, she is technically a red shirt. And it, and it, um, I can't remember how well Boone explains it in the episode, but basically it's because, um, you know, ensigns on away mes- missions, not just ensigns, ensigns. Don't, don't at me, Star Trek, uh, fans. <laughs> but anyway, dispose, often disposable characters on Star Trek would wear, uh, red shirts, whereas like the officers are wearing gold and blue. Like that, and so they would die on away missions. Uh, go ahead and watch Galaxy Quest if you don't know what we're talking about. But, um, it's actually different classifications of officer, but yes, absolutely correct. <laughs> I said, Don't at me. <laughs> I just saved you a whole bunch of ads by correcting do, you where everybody um, could see. I do appreciate John Locke being like, Yeah, it just sounds like a shitty captain. <laughs> um, yeah, he's so know. calm, that's why we follow him. He's definitely a Picard fan. We know that about uh, Terry O'Quinn. We but... should we should note that Terry O'Quinn himself did wear a red uniform when he was a captain on Next Gen. So, yeah, yeah, I so maybe that's why it, it didn't make sense to him. <laughs> um, yeah, he's got like a he's got like a zip front like Polar Tech type of outfit. It's a very interesting look. Anyway. He got the he got the 1993 <laughs> Star Trek uniform instead of the, the 60s one, so it really works. <laughs> Really works for the opposing figure to be cut. 
It's a lot. Uh, of sh- it's a lot of shoulders. It's a lot of shoulders. Okay. Anyway, well, that's yeah. the good thing about. Uh, nope. Sorry. Still not talking about Star Trek. That's the good <laughs> thing about appearing on the seventh season. Is the outfits were so horrible the first two seasons. You have like uh patrick stewart being like look we're a very popular television show please make these so we could wear them like for filming a television show's schedule so that's where you get like the cool uh coats with dramatic shoulders and stuff instead of the one piece stuff you also enter the era of Riker uh straightening his suit every time he stands up uh to make sure his wardrobe fits i don't know uh, okay i don't know what you're talking about when deanna troy definitely wore delightful onesie jumpsuits in the first few seasons of star trek next generation just kidding i am sure yeah yeah that one uh yes there's there's a still of her and i think dr crusher doing some sort of exercise that like comes up every time you uh google like horrible star trek next generation outfits and it's horrible they're definitely everybody got more comfortable outfits as the seasons wore on so season seven good time for tara gwyn to get an outfit digression over. Wait. Back to... Oh, nope. Not over. We could talk about Star Trek costuming more. Let's do it. What other main <laughs> lost uh, actor was on Star Trek? Uh, this feels like it's main lost actor. So, like, main cast. Mm-hmm. Harold Perrineau? Uh, not that I know of. No. He seems like somebody who would have been on Star Trek. He was, he was around. He got a lot of, he did a lot of stuff. Shit. No, I, don't I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to scroll through it and I can't pull anybody out. Who is it, Joanna? It is Daniel Day Kim. Who appeared mm. on Voyager with some fun forehead makeup and also on Enterprise. So, Damn. <laughs> yep. Don't. Don't at me, Trekkies. All Daniel right. Day Kim also surprisingly <laughs> in the 2019 Hellboy movie. That one, so there's I do that. remember. <laughs> well, that was a like whole it. new story. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't involve red shirting, as far as I know. I haven't seen it. Yet. No. Okay. Good. Anyway, we get uh, a game of backgammon between uh, Hurley and Walt, where um, we get return to like the black and white theme and we get a very very lucky waltz i assume that like i was saying before the reintroduction of games here is because this is the episode that introduces an actual antagonist force someone's come into the camp who wasn't there before and taken one of those pregnant women uh is it just there uh to Maybe show us that Walt's really gotten good at backgammon. Neil, what did you think about this this side plot? Um, well, it just it gives us a chance to spend some time with Walt and just to hear Walt's <laughs> thoughts on his dad. And I love the Hurley part. I just honestly, I just love any minute of screen time that Hurley gets because him getting absolutely destroyed by Walt in backgammon, but also saying that he finished 17th at a tournament once is the most Hurley shit. And, uh, I think it's great. I think that, uh, I don't want to say any more about Walt. That's where I'm at. All right. Perfect. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a big, it's a big reveal to be like, Oh no, not Michael. My other dad. (laughs) Like, Oh, is that the first time we've, yeah, I mean we 
I I think we've heard. Uh, is it that okay? Let's say it is because Joanne is probably on point here that we're now getting the idea that the Walt Michael family structure is a lot more complicated. I mean, I think I think he mentioned living with his mom, but I'm not sure that he mentioned another dad. The other dad? Oh yeah. That oh, this is this is where the multi-track rewatch of my brain <laughs> fritzes out because I'm like, we haven't seen a Michael and Walt episode yet. <laughs> You just tesseracted back to the... Damn, we have not Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess it is a pretty big reveal that Walt <laughs> has another dad. Oh, you guys, now I'm getting Jansport-sponsored backpacks uh, ads on my, um, my Lost Thanks Media. to Sawyer. All right, uh, that, that's my excuse to talk about the most 2004 thing about this episode. <clears throat> All right, most 2004 thing about this episode. So, I mean... I, I, uh, we can go back to talking about uh, calm stuff about this episode, but I just want to explain to our listeners why I'm getting Jansport ads, which is why is because I was looking up Jansport backpacks earlier because one of my four candidates for the most 2004 thing about this episode is Sawyer's backpack. This isn't the first time we've seen it, but it's a black Jansport suede bottom backpack with two side zip pockets. Um, I had this backpack in high school. A bunch of my friends had this backpack in high school. They no longer, Jansport no longer makes this backpack. And in fact, I had to find it by typing vintage Jansport backpack into, uh, the Googles. So that is officially a candidate. Jan, uh, Sawyer's vintage black Jansport backpack. But not just the backpack, but also the way he carries it. Which is that, like, the one shoulder and then having, like, the long, like, you, you, you pull the strap to almost as long as it can. So it, like, sags back. Yeah. So you're, like, doing as, as messenger bag of a backpack as you can. As much damage to your spine as the backpack was supposed to save you in the first place. Yeah. They made them with two straps, but you never used the second strap. No. And you just want to tell children, children, your spine will not always be the springy. (laughs) All right. So, okay. So Sawyer's vintage one strap Jansport backpack situation. Uh Sawyer, this is a lot of it comes from Sawyer actually this episode. We're leaving Shannon's wardrobe out of it. Uh Sawyer's mention of the evening news actually kind of strikes me as something that sounds old to me now. Does anyone say like, oh, I heard it on the evening news? Right? Like we don't yeah. You, People I don't watch it, the evening I, news anymore. I read it on Twitter. That's where you get I got it. a I got an alert pushed <laughs> to my phone. Yeah, exactly. Um uh, Boone calling his mom the Martha Stewart of the wedding industry. I just wanted to give us all a little bit of Martha Stewart context right here. At this time, Martha Stewart had uh, already gone on trial and been uh, sort of convicted of insider trading. Uh, March of 2004. Oh, she had? Yeah, March of 2004 is when that happened. Oh, I so, thought that was later. Yeah, so... uh you know, dropping the Martha Stewart references is, is kind of a loaded one in this particular year. That's where we were on the Martha Stewart uh, legacy uh, track. And then the last one is probably the best one, which is Sawyer calling Charlie uh, VH1 has been's rejects, um, which, uh, you know, VH1 did a lot of like inside the music where they now sort of. Yeah. Stuff. Sit down, children. Back in the day. <laughs> MTV stood for music television and had the popular television music videos on. Uh-huh. And VH1 was for the old people. And they put all their music broadcasting towards the beginning of the day and in the afternoons to catch people while working out. Because it was super easy to just put like VH1 on the TV at the gyms in front of your treadmills or for your grandma, whatever. Okay, and television history. Back, back to Lost. 
Um, VH1's uh, programming of Where Are They Now uh, is how I know who Leaf Garrett is. <laughs> I learned I learned mm. that inessential piece of trivia from uh, VH1. So, you know, I could definitely see there being a behind the music done of um, Drive Shaft. Uh, you all, everybody. All right. And then so. probably an MTV Unplugged. Right, where Liam Gallagher heckled Noel Gallagher while he was... Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, so okay. So, what's the most 2004 thing about this episode? Is the, it is the VH1 name drop, the evening news name drop, the Jansport backpack, or the Martha Stewart reference? Dave, what's your answer? Uh, I think it has to be the backpack. All right. Neil? Hmm. This is a tough one now that you mentioned the VH1 thing, because I think the VH1 thing really is... Like, that is a very specifically timely thing. Like, I think kids, people still know who Martha Stewart is, kind of, because she hangs out with Snoop Dogg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but I think Martha Stewart has successfully PR buried her criminal past. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think true. I feel like Boone is saying something about his mom when he's not just that. <laughs> and that's not a spoiler. I'm just saying, like, he's like, she's, she's in, cause, cause if he were making that reference now, he would say, she's what, the Gwyneth Paltrow of the wedding? The industry? Rachel Ray of the. <laughs> Some life, lifestyle blogger. Barefoot Contessa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh. She's the goop. She's the goop. She's the goop. Yeah, she's the she's goop. She's the Gwyneth Paltrow of the oh, wedding no. industry. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with the VH1 thing. Just because okay. that's, yeah, that's where I'm at. Great. And there we are. Listeners, if you have a different idea of what the 2000, most 2004 thing about this episode is, please do let me know. All right, I think we've hinted at most calm things, except I do want to talk about here in the calm the very dramatic scene where we find Charlie, and as Neil describes, incredible visual of Charlie with the final piece of tape on his finger, blindfolded, hanging, and then Jack's inability to give up for a second, looks like, is going to end with the scene of him just beating a corpse while Kate cries amongst the trees. <laughs> um, but no. He just punches him back to life. Yeah, he punches him back to life. Uh, just when you think that Jack's just beating dead meat, uh, he goes at it again. And thanks to the magic of television, Charlie's back. And it's that uh, um, when Kate walks away the second time, like when Jack starts again, starts uh, hitting him in the chest again, and she walks away, it's the musical cue that plays over that that just crushes me every time. Like, I've watched this episode in the last month maybe four times, and every single time it works. Like, it's that good. Is that uh, is that Charlie Hangs Around, or is that some other uh, music? Ooh, I don't know. They said that uh, I think on the last PD it said there's one theme uh, that's introduced in this episode that never made it on a soundtrack, but it has to have not been that because that is a notable piece of music. Right. They said it was some sort of like chase theme. It's probably yeah, whatever this is was one playing. that they they come back to this one a couple of times, like this specific music cue. This is one that sort of becomes an iconic sad moment musical cue. Ooh. For lots of future sad moments we can't talk about. Spoiler alert, there's more sad moments than Lost. Uh, Joanna, do you think Charlie's hey. telling the truth uh, when he says he doesn't remember anything? What a, uh, what a bananas question to ask me. How am I supposed to answer that? <laughs> <laughs> what does Charlie know? 
Hey, Joanna. Hey, hey, Dave, do you think Kate's telling the truth when she tells that story about her dad training her to be a tracker? You can't I mean, answer that question because you know the answer. So I-, I could I could definitely attempt to answer that question. <laughs> uh, for the sake of the calm, I'm not going to. I can't. I don't know how to answer that question. All right, fine. There are others. Jacket Boone follow a feeling and a tossed flashlight going awry clanks into some metal. Dun, dun, dun. We don't have to talk about it too much because we're going to spend some more time in the future talking about that piece of metal in the calm. Uh, but otherwise, I think we're going to move on to the second half of the podcast right after this. All right, this is the point of the podcast where we want to thank our favorite cowboys with all their daddy issues. Um, these are our small council supporters. We want to thank Mark Tozer, Christina Sullivan, Saquon Gatling, Joe Janka, Bryce Quine, yep. Katie Salembier, Tom Whitman, Ira Storm, Melissa Slaughter, Great on Toast, Victoria McDuffie, Marion Donnelly, Lauren Wagstaff, Jim Scott, Anne Moreau, Stacey Winkleplek, Jocelyn Juan DeMello, Cody Dragis, and Fiona Grimm. Thank you guys so much. I also have a list of folks that we would like to thank, including Aaron, Julin Aberly, Brian Rapp, Holly Hunt, Christine Kippins, Madison Ray, Carrie, Jeffrey Eng, Adam Sullivan, Jason Blackmer, Robert Bowles, Chuck Parkey, Amy Newswanger. Yeah, all right. I feel like I nailed that one. Cameron Graham, Christian Turner, Mark Jewett, Thomas Sapansky, Elizabeth Mowbray, Mick Nick, and Betsy Lane. And I'd like to add some people on to this list of thank yous. I would like to thank James Barda, Shane O'Reilly, Jocelyn Land, Belinda Hogan, Liz Froment, Callie Serrano, Jeremiah Perez, Micah Wood, Sarah Gates, Jane Phelps, Christina McNeeset, Brian Latino, Valerie Harvey, Ben Block, Maggie Pollan, Jesse Brixen, Benjamin Jacoby, Matt Hayes, Tiffany Welker, and Laura Kaminsky. Thank you guys so much for being part of the Small Council. You make this podcast possible. Yeah, when John Locke turns into the weatherman. Yeah. Yeah. We could use that. That's just. That's that's how we're starting the storm. We're talking about bringing an actual storm <laughs> uh, with John Locke and Boone. Working at a box company? Did you John Locke, the weather? Bringing the storm. Guys, did I forget well, to say the anagram thing in the comm? I think you did forget to say the anagram uh, thing in the comm. All right, I have an email that I'm going to read. Okay, do we need to do uh, antagonist check-in first, or do we go straight I'm gonna, to the email? I'm going to do this, and then we can do your antagonist check-in. Um, this email is from Matthew and he writes, Hey there. When Ethan said he was from Ontario, that reminded me of a fan finding that people in laws who mention Canada are usually lying. I think there's a similar thing in a song of ice and fire about Arbor gold. Anyway, Lostpedia came to the rescue to confirm my memory. I thought this might be the first time this happens, but it's actually the second after tabula rasa. Yeah. Kate. 
So be on the lookout for people saying they're from Canada. This is, we also talked about this before we started recording, that that is a very 2004 thing to me, which is people lying about being Canadian, specifically Americans living in the Bush era. I can't believe this hasn't come back. Like, why aren't, why aren't people talking about going on backpacking? Oh, because we all have so much debt. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But that was a very like Bush era thing. Like when the Iraq war was going on, it was like people traveling abroad would Americans would be like, I'm a Canadian. So a maple leaf. Maybe it's just because we're older because like when we were younger, people would talk about going backpack and now, now people are like, we're moving to Canada. Right. That's what people say now. We're moving (laughs) to Canada. So we're just older now. And that's like the Canadian thing to do. Anyway. Uh, the end of Matthew's email says, we also get our second anagram in this episode with Ethan Rom, uh, which is other man, uh, falling on Gary Troop slash purgatory in the pilot. Um, so I didn't know, I forgot, if I knew about Ethan, I had forgotten about it, but I do know that I like knew his last name, which is a weird thing to like hold on to Ethan's last name, isn't it? Cause like he's yeah. not really a major, I mean, he comes back, but like, you know, I don't yeah, know. I, I, I think I, this I, was a thing when Lost, like, back spark, in the day. It sparked something in my brain when he showed up and I was like, oh, it's Ethan Rome. And I was like, wait, why do you say his, why are you saying his last name? <laughs> like, why is that important for you to say the whole thing? Your um, subconscious is like, I'm not telling. Yeah. It's like saying Beric Dondarrion, something like that, you know, where you feel like you need to say the whole thing. Anyway, mm-hmm. Ethan Rom, Anagram. Ethan Rom, Mapather. I used <laughs> <Chris. laughs> I used to uh I meant to say that in the com. I'll try to remember to say it next time we talk about Ethan. Um but there you go. Uh Although it's kind of I it's kind of stormy though cuz we don't he is an other, but we don't really know yeah. that he's I an other. I mean we I, I guess this episode out, sort of breaks that. Open. I didn't like bleep out last week's uh, uh raised by another raised by an other call out. Should I have? I don't think I don't know. so. Like Rousseau have mentioned the others. Like that's a doesn't she? It's a thing. That's right, right. Where the the others is a concept that's been introduced in the show. Yeah, it just hasn't. This is the first it time that we like, kind of yeah. know who an other is. That we well, I guess this is the first time that we really know that there is another. I mean, we know that Ethan, like like Rousseau was like, oh my god, they're not alone. They're not. Uh, they're not alone on the island. Is Rousseau. And then mm-hmm. Rousseau's like, there's these others, watch out. And SIE's like, cuckoo, great. And then Ethan's not on the manifest. Of course he's another. Like, what else is he? Uh, I do appreciate the show trying Canadian? to like, the show trying to like half walk it, uh, with Boone and Locke, where Locke is just like, yeah, but we don't know anybody. <laughs> like, we don't know who any of these friggin' people are outside the 10 people that we talk to. So there could be a bunch of Ethans <laughs> hanging around. Um, yeah, antagonistic I, force. All right, fine. Here's it's time for an antagonistic check-in <laughs> with Dave Gonzalez. <laughs> hey, Dave. Yeah. Now that we have like an actual, actual one, and the others are like some sort of outside threat that I talked about in the calm, we also immediately pivot from uh, Locke just seeing how his uh, little try and get uh, Sawyer and Saeed to turn against each other thing. Doesn't work out, but that's okay. Locke has, Locke has a new obsession in the jungle because he found the hatch and he found it with Boone. And he was like, uh, this is, I think I like Boone the most the entire time. I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. From here on out, <laughs> he's sort of getting, uh, pulled into 
bad situation uh, with Locke till his demise. Yeah, so. I mean, it really feels like they almost had it with Boone. Because, like, the reason why Boone doesn't quite make it is because he didn't really work. But they almost had it in this episode. But I think by now, the writers have probably decided, we gotta get rid of this guy. Yeah, I, I, I see it. I see the thing happening where Locke gets a feeling that brings him to the hatch. And now that we know that there are these supernatural forces on the island, that feeling was probably in itself supernatural uh, to sow this conflict. But I do think it's uh, it's funny that we're back in the in the game. I do uh, wonder... The backgammon actually showing up. Speaking of Locke's feeling, I do wonder if people in, in the calm... Maybe I can transport back in time and ask them if they pick up on stuff like that as like being part of the supernatural. If, if on your first watch, you're picking up that like Locke has some, you know, continues to have this supernatural connection or stuff like that just goes right by you. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of it has been contained just to these like wandering around the jungle episode. White Rabbit had, you know, Locke's big speech uh, about, you know, crazy people that evolved into like a thesis for season one about needing to be on the island. Uh, but then otherwise, like I was saying, he's just been hanging out seemingly not doing anything because we yeah, he doesn't, any- he hasn't done any magic shit lately. That's right. So and he had to do two magic things in this episode. I think we basically forget that he's seen the monster at this point, uh, just because no, nobody's brought it up. Nobody talks about it. Uh, as we're deep in the hash mystery, which is, you know, obviously, having seen the first season, a mystery that doesn't end up well for Locke's relationship uh, to the rest of the survivors. So, again, not quite a villain. Uh, definitely not, you know, scheming to turn Sawyer against Saeed anymore like he was the past couple episodes. But not necessarily a positive force just because Ethan's the only one trying to kill people this episode. But I think, I mean, I think we should point out that he's genuinely wants to find Charlie and Claire. Like that's something he's genuinely trying to do. Um, yes. Which is not a villainous thing to do until they find the hatch. I think, and this maybe makes the case for Locke as sort of a villainous figure is this is the moment where he becomes obsessed with the hatch yeah. And they stop hunting for food. <laughs> and it's like, this is where his obsession, the faith part of John Locke starts to take over. And it is to the, de- in my mind, detrimental to the rest of the group. So he is sort of pulling away from the live together thing by being at the hatch for the rest of the season. Hatch, 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 <laughs> we're in the storm. I have, um, it's not a hatch, but it is a monster-based question. So there's always been something that's bothered me about when Jack and when Jack only, I believe, Kate doesn't seem to hear it, but hears Claire scream. Is that Claire's actually Claire screaming, or is that the monster? Because uh, it sounds Kate, Kate weird. Kate doesn't hear it, so I think it's supernatural. Okay. Um. Yes. I have a lore-based answer. Yes. Which is in the Season 6 Blu-ray set, in order to undo the mystery of the Hurlybird, which is never solved, they reveal that there is actually a ton of 
genetically altered birds released on the island whose cries sound like human voices. Yikes. So I'm go- it's clear I'm say So this could I'm also explain bird, yeah. could this also explain the whispers? I hope so. I, no, I can the whispers are fucking, uh, the souls, souls of people. Of the- people with the unfinished business <laughs> and that definitely they say it in the show so it's canon but unless they say that this was whispers i'm gonna say this could be actual claire or uh some sort of screaming bird screaming birds forgot about the screaming birds yep <laughs> good old screaming birds nothing uh, makes a mystery island more terrifying than birds that just sound like humans screaming <laughs> um follow prompt <laughs> <laughs> if you had to live with a genetically uh, engineered bird screaming with someone from Lost Voice uh, in your house at all time, whose uh, whose voice would you pick? Oh God, that's a that's first of all you got to kill that bird. <laughs> like I, I, it may not be like for meat based purposes, <laughs> but just kill the bird. Ah. That's a, a horrible screaming bird. I'm I'm gonna kill that bird. I'm gonna kill that bird. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's got to be a see you in see you in another life, brother bird, right? Isn't that what you want to hear? Desmond bird, <laughs> yeah, Desmond bird. Or my bird would sound like the smoke monster. That would really fuck people up. Like I just have like a bird in the other room, and all of a sudden you're like sitting, you're like hanging out at our house or having a barbecue. All of a sudden you hear the smoke monster from Lost. That would, <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. Just my luck, it would be Michael saying Waltz, and I'd be like, "Yes, I know, we've heard it." <laughs> Waltz! What if it were Actually, just? What if it were just a bird that just went? That that would be great. That would be like a mood bird. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um. So what would be, what would be the what would be the worst bird? Would the worst bird be a Walt bird? Would the worst bird be a what bird? Uh, a Michael Walt? bird. A Michael bird. Probably, or just piercing female screams in general. Like, nobody wants a bird around that's doing mm. that all well, the time. A Shannon bird. Oh, God. <laughs> so now I'm envisioning a world in which these birds are exist and are sold by the Disney Corporation. <laughs> but J.J. Abrams was consulted. So here's the deal. You pay $75. It's free shipping. They send you this bird. You're not allowed to choose what voice comes out. What's the one that everyone worries is in the mystery bird? And I'm 100% sure it's Michael screaming Walt. (laughs) The mystery bird. I got a Walt bird for my mystery bird. JJ loves a good mystery bird. (laughs) I heard he gave a whole TED talk about the power of the mystery bird. All right, what are we going to ask me, James? Um... This ch- why does why does Charlie not remember uh, what happened when he was being taken away by Claire? Now you could answer it. Um, heroin. Heroin. <laughs> I don't also, know. all of the oxygen leaving his body, and then his heart stopping, and then him having to be punched back to life. When Diana, when we watched when we watched these episodes like uh, a while back, when I was watching Diana, Diana's like, I swear to God, if she comes back and she goes, I don't remember what happened to me, and then like that's Ooh. literally what Claire does. So <laughs> I hope people aren't too mad. It's such a soap opera thing, and like the show addresses that. We'll get to all of this, obviously. The show addresses that. They're like, someone's like, uh, I think she's faking because when's the last time you heard of someone having such selective amnesia outside of days of our lives, basically? So. 
we'll get to Claire. Claire. Um, I don't know why. Tra- yeah, Charlie almost died, and yeah, one very show... selective part of his brain got deleted. <laughs> the show gets uh, a little into the effects of trauma without having very solid rules, or I don't know. It 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 feels like they're trying to say something about like how traumatic experiences can sort of be so overwhelming, but um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's super consistent as we go along. It's still television trauma, which is operating by air dates and by production dates. And it's, it's just like his withdrawal. It's not Island. We're not on Island time for that. We're on airing time. So by the time on TV we, time, yeah, by the time we've watched an episode of lost and it's come back and it's Tuesday again or whatever, um, uh, we felt like Charlie's been detoxing that whole time in our minds, but on yeah, on the island, it's just been like twelve hours, uh, and it makes no sense that he'd be. It. I think the trauma so far, or at least, uh, I think the show gets deeper into it later, but it doesn't have time this first season really because I think the reality would be there. You still have a lot of uh, we just crash into plane trauma. Like there'd be people waking up from nightmares. Like a, I feel a lot more. On the cave and the beach of just like, I'm falling in a plane. Uh, but that seems to not be happening. Yeah, everybody um, forgot about the plane crash pretty quickly. Yeah, it's sort of like the five-year blip. <laughs> <laughs> We're fine. We don't know I what's so. going on politically or culturally, but it's fine. Um, so what I was going to say, uh, oh, oh, to follow up on the debate we had earlier in the podcast about um, when did the writers know that Hurley won the lottery? They certainly knew by now. Cause says you'll, Cause he you'll get that owed, money. You'll get that twenty thousand. You'll get that money. <laughs> which means we know the numbers. Which means it's significant that Jack hits Charlie twenty three times on the chest before he stops the. First Wait, time. what? Yeah. Yep. Numbers. That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't I'm think that I would learn reaction. anything impressive about the about Lost on this. Like, wow. I thought I that's knew a, a lot of things. That, yeah, that's, <laughs> Well, that's just got to be an editing thing because there's no way that. Well, sure, I'm sure in reality it was 108 times on set. Oh yeah, like specifically, hey, we need you to hit him 108 times. We're just gonna take the best 23. (laughs) Yeah, I think on the list of like uh, the extensive list of bloopers uh, for this episode, which I guess involved lots of like camera equipment and whatnot, because they're getting used to doing their jungle chases. Uh, One of them is like the first time. You see Charlie get hit in the chest with a fist. You could see, like, the square piece of uh, whatever that I have blocking his, like, chest from actually being pounded in. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not. I'm glad that they didn't kill Dominic Monaghan from what I'm sure was a very, like, grueling day of being punched on some sort of chest oper- apparatus. Roar, Roar uh, McCann is like, wow, wow, cry me a river. Um, so, <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 Yeah, and they also said that in the original script, uh, Christian would have called time of death at 323 for that girl. Um, what's weird about that numbers entry on Lostpedia for this particular episode is they're like, he hit him 23 times and then paused and then does it nine more times. And nine is also italicized. And I'm like, but nine isn't one of the numbers. So why did you point that out to me, Lostpedia? That- Just because it was like, why would I not count the second group? But yes, uh, I, I guess that just becomes Charlie. Again, ed- editing the score would be my guess. Charlie leaves the group 
four clues. Walt blows on the dice four times. Uh, Kate tells Jack about time that she spent eight hours tracking a deer with her father. The All right, now seems like a good place to bring this in. <laughs> Some of these are just nonsense that just like happen, you know, through happenstance. How dare you? How dare you? There's always well, the, I mean, if the writer's room is obsessed with these numbers by now, they just show, I mean, some of these, yeah, could be completely random. Or, uh, yeah, especially if someone's told, like, the editors and the directors, like, what's to be on the lookout for, This then it just becomes, like, all hands on deck. The yeah. few Easter eggs I've gotten into television shows are all, like, we need a number, and then I just tell them we should use the lost numbers, so don't say they're the lost numbers, and then it, like, happens. That seems more like we're in the editing room, how many times do we show Walt blowing on dice considering we have takes of him doing it 10 different times? And the answer could be a number. Could or be, it, could it could be... be it could be 4, it could be 8, it could be 15, it could be 16. Yeah, right. and then, you know, obviously <laughs> the lower numbers are easier than the higher numbers probably <laughs> to reach in by happenstance. Imagine Walt blowing on the dice 40, 42 times. Yeah, dude, dude. <laughs> you have to keep cutting back throughout the episode. His entire plot of the episode okay. would be him blowing on the dice. Here's a here's a new um, mission statement for all listeners. If someone asks you for your phone number, whether it's like an unwanted uh, admirer out in the world or like a company that you don't want to give them your phone number, why don't you give them area code 481-516-2342? And mm-hmm. uh, let's just make that a thing. <laughs> the all-time <laughs> fake phone number. Yeah, give them the lost numbers. Area code four eight one five one six two three four two. Okay, hold on. Now we need to do a little Google foo to find out where four eight one is, yeah. so that you don't get caught. It's Texas. Oh, it's Texas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hold it's on. my it's my old Texas number. <laughs> Houston. Oh, it's a Houston number. <laughs> Plenty of people are from Houston. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's when I that summer I spent in Houston. Right. Yeah, that's where the I got summer my, of my life. Doctorate. The winter I spent. In- my dad <laughs> took me out into the woods, showed uh, me how to track deer. That was much better than my dad, who got like so drunk he opened a pregnant woman's artery and blamed <laughs> me, tried to make me take the blame for it. Yikes! So, jeez. Once again, that number is area code four eight one five one six two three four two. Okay. Can we really quickly, uh, since we're in the storm, try to come up with a comprehensive list of everyone on Lost who has a daddy issue? Oh, my God. There's all the people uh, we mentioned, plus Locke. Uh, ben. Jin. Uh, Claire. Penny. Oh, Claire. Claire. Penny. Shannon. Yeah. Shannon, yes. Uh, um, Juliet. Does Juliet have a daddy issue? Yes. Her parents... Well, she has a parents' divorced issue. Okay. It's close. I'm trying to think about who from the Tayleys. Do all the Tayleys have okay dads? I mean, Ana Lucia only has a mom. <laughs> she was born, oh. like, whole from her mother. Alex. Oh, oh yeah, Alex. Yeah. Fair. Uh, did you click on the parent Penny, issues Penny. tab on Lostpedia? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, Locke. We already said Locke, right? And Ben. Yeah, Penny, Pe- Penny would have oh, D- issues. Daniel. 
Daniel, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. David Shepard, Jack Shepard's oh. son from the Sideways universe. This is a good one. <laughs> um, Miles, the doctor's son. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Miles, definitely. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a good list. All it's the best list. cowboys. Um, <laughs> this does bring me back to, um, Walt. Which we did not Whoa! talk a lot about. Sorry, <laughs> the reason why I didn't want to talk about Walt too much is because Walt spends this entire episode just dropping huge spoilers. <laughs> like, Walt is like, yeah, but what if the other people on the island sent somebody to infiltrate our camp? And Slayer's like, whatever, little guy. What does he call him? Tattoo? <laughs> um... And, uh, there's another one that Walt, like, I, tr- I crack, I, I track like three or four Walt things that he says in this episode, which are just like straight up true later. Yeah, trust Walt. He's psychic. You have to trust Walt. When he Walt maybe says made he's, a bear with his mind that he, one time. He maybe when made Walt birds, says he's lucky. <laughs> birds fly into a window. Oh, yeah, that's it. Isn't it? Uh. Uh. <laughs> uh, I've seen Hereditary. I know that's bad. <laughs> um, Do you think, okay, follow-up question. Mm-hmm. In the storm, and maybe this could have been a calm question, but here we are. Um, Do you think it's a mistake to have, like, basically three Jack episodes before we get to, like, a Michael episode? Or, you know... A Hurley episode. Um, structurally, no. Okay. Because I don't, I don't know if the order. Well, I don't know if there's a ton to the order. Um, I don't know. It does. It it does feel season one feels very Jack heavy <laughs> compared to other seasons. But then again, the whole. I mean, Jack's like, you know, he's the white dot he's the white ruby whatever those things are those balls inside of a pouch what (laughs) right what 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 am i the game piece the game piece he's the white backgammon piece of this show and wants the black one oh gotcha (laughs) the white ruby (laughs) (laughs) whatever those damn things are in the pouch (laughs) with adam and eve you remember that Uh from season one yeah (laughs) Uh, I'm just gonna start calling Jack the the white ruby. <laughs> the, the white, white ruby. ruby. <laughs> what are what they're they're little things? I don't know. Yeah, Doesn't you matter. could do that in the column, and you won't get beeped because it makes just as much sense now as it ever. <laughs> uh, okay, so next week, um, next week we get um, kid episode, Boone episode, the Michael episode, uh, Michael Walt episode. Yeah, I do think that they, and this is, I think. Part of it is the show had patience. You know, I mean, we're halfway into the season and it feels weird a little bit that we don't know more about Michael and Walt. You know, like it does by this time feel weird that we don't know more things, but that's just because the show is slow rolling some of this stuff to its benefit in some ways. Um, yeah, I guess so. Um, what is sad? Do you remember what episode Boone dies in? I don't remember, but what is sad is that I guess I was reading an interview where Ian Somerhalder find found out that he was going to die like right after he filmed Hearts and Minds. So they had him film his episode. <laughs> Isn't it? Cause do no harm. Wait, no, maybe it's born to run. 
No, I think it's Do No Harm is the one where the birth Jack, and the death happens at the same time. Yeah, 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 yeah where Jack yeah. can't fix him. So it's the it's the lock episode before that, Deus Ex Machina. But I mean, technically he died. I mean, you know, Ian Somerhalder had to show up to groan on a gurney for all right. of uh Do No Harm. And then and then be like, Don't no or like whatever it is he says to Jack. Anyway, we'll get there. Point being, writings of the wall for Ian Somerhalder. Boone goes off, you're right. As soon as Boone as soon as they decided to put Boone with Locke instead of a red shirt. It was uh, it's curtains. It's extremely, um, you know, f- extreme foreshadowing to have Boone be the one who not only explains it, but then is the guy doing the red shirting. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> well, and I, one of the funniest things to me is that this conversation happens in this episode where they explain the red shirt, and then it's not long after that they they introduce. Uh, the ultimate season one red shirt, which is Arst. Oh, Arst. <laughs> so it's, it's like the show is like, like telegraphing where they're going. It's not even a little bit subtle. No. The Arst thing. <laughs> I remembered it being like a little bit smoother and it's like, nope, here he is. And he's the worst. He sticks out like <laughs> Ethan yeah, and then just, blows just, himself up. <laughs> he stick out like a sore Rome. <laughs> <laughs> like an Ethan Rome. Uh, all right. So as Joanna said, next week we have whatever the case may be, another Kate episode. Until then. Special oh. guest, Lindsay Romaine. Ooh, Ooh, special guest, Lindsay Romaine. That's worth it, uh, even if it isn't one of my favorite episodes of Lost. <gasps> it's but I one think of it's- Lindsay's favorite episodes of Lost. You guys are the same person. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, uh, until then, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Mr. Neil Miller, what? let's kick it off with you. Uh, get always, filmschoolrejects.com. That is where I apply my wares. Uh, get me on Twitter at Rejects, and don't forget, at Storm Podcasts. Follow us. It's great. And Joanna Robinson. Uh, you can find me on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can hear me talking about Big Little Lies on the Vanity Fair podcast. Still watching. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E, where I tweet out my writing, and on the Fighting in the War Room podcast, where I talk about stuff like Stranger Things 3 and things. You'll you'll figure it out if you like it. If you don't, that's fine, too. Just keep coming back for the storm, and do not fall down.